Welcome to Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us today is Stephen Pettis. Hey, Stephen. Hey, guys. Super excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about uh, what we're here to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think it will be fun. It's a fun topic. But before we are allowed to talk about that, Ben, you have a really important question for us. I do, and it's a it's a good hint towards what we're talking about today. Um, so, Stephen, oh man, I'm I'm totally gonna just blow it here. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal thunder. But Stephen works mm-hmm. at Highlands College, which we'll come back to and talk about Highlands College. But that's important context for my question because my question is a throwback to our college days. All right, so. Uh-oh. This this is we're gonna have to search the memory archives here for a second. This could be really dangerous. Yeah, no, it. I'll I'll be gentle. I'll be gentle with this, Stephen. This is your first <laughs> time on the podcast, so I'll be gentle with this question. But next time, gloves are off, man. So okay. Um. All right. So thinking back to your college days, who is one of the more memorable professors that you had, and why? And so quick quick little context. Like when I say memorable, it could be for good reasons you really liked the gal or guy mm-hmm. or not so good reasons. So don't feel like it, you know, you, you can have some fun with this, Ooh. but it's up to you. So Emily, I feel like you're ready. You, you, you seem eager to answer this question. I know I am ready. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> I had a lot of memorable professors. One, this one's memorable for a good reason. Okay. It was, she was my advisor. I actually don't know if I ever had her in a class or not. But uh, Donna Downs, shout out to Donna. Donna. She Donna. she was great, but she also had a hot tub. <laughs> and she <laughs> would just let us come over. We'd text her at like midnight. Be like, Donna, what's up? Can we come use your hot That's tub? That's awesome. And the only rule was um, leave the one Diet Pepsi in the fridge for her. You can't take the last Diet Pepsi. Oh, Nice. Yeah, she was the best. I had a birthday party at Donna's house wow. at my friend's plan. Wow, it was pretty great. That's pretty impressive. Good old Donna. I, do I remember what she taught me? You don't even remember like what class? Hospitality, but <laughs> no, she that was, wasn't the class. She was my advisor, so she was in <laughs> communications. But yeah, okay. no. Oh, that's sweet. I'm impressed. She was up till midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm impressed that just the the openness, the hospitality that yeah. she showed, because I I had a very different experience. So. Ben, you kind of put me on the spot. You, you said the gloves are, are staying on, but I think they came off a little bit because work at a college. Yeah. But in my college days, I wasn't the best student. So I actually went to Auburn and studied civil engineering, which God used for ministry, praise God. Um, but I had some rough semesters in there where I was like, why am I studying engineering, but my heart is ministry? Uh, anyway, so I studied engineering. And um professor that stands out to me the most is more of, you know, I don't know if it's positive, negative, but he definitely made an impact because he was just uh, the quintessential, no disrespect, I'm an engineer, so I can throw shade, but just the quintessential (laughs) engineering personality. And I remember, like he got us, he was a geotechnical professor. So we're studying dirt, to be honest, it's just a fancy word for like the study of dirt and uh, (laughs) engineering with dirt. well, he would call me out right now and he'd say, it's not dirt, it's soil. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so he, 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 I remember in class one day where he's getting to, like he's building up to this, just this profound, he's about to teach us like the, the key to geotechnical engineering. And we're all like on the edge of our seats taking notes. And he gets to this point and he says, it kind of climaxes with, he's like, the, the, the number one rule in, in civil engineering, it's so we're all like, what is it? Tell us, tell us. 
He said, the number one rule in civil engineering is that water flows downhill. <laughs> I just remember being like, this is where I chose, which honestly, I'm a simple, I'm a simple guy, but I was like, thank God it's simple, you know, which geotechnical is, is, is not, but he, you know, he just boiled it down to like water flows downhill. If you know that you're going to pass this and, um, which wow. I barely passed the class. It, it was not as easy as he made it out to be, but I remember in class, again, he stands out for all the funny moments where I read in class and he, he would show pictures of landslides and things to us. And, um, and we were like, what, you know, what textbook did you get this out of? Or where, you know, where did you find these on the internet? And he's like, no, I, I, I took this. And so he totally, the guy that would you'd see pulled over on the side of the road, just looking at stuff, like looking at rock, looking at dirt and, and all that. So just a bit, I can't remember his name, but just a very interesting engineering professor I had. So that's yeah. awesome. I, I Memorable times, but yeah. I am, I'm more passionate about education than I used to be. Let's say that way. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The study of dirt. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, some quick memories for me. Uh, a good one was was Mark Muska. So shout out to Mark Muska wherever he is. He was he was like a great professor, both academically and then relationally. He actually kind of like mentored me in college. Just a super cool dude. Really liked him. Pushed me. Challenged me. But but I will say. Um, the one that actually came to mind first was failing ailing is what we called her failing ailing. <laughs> and she was our English teacher and um, obviously had a reputation that lived up to that name. And at the college that I went to, we would at the time, I don't know if this is still true today, but we would get so many skips per class. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have like the professor would say, I'll, I'll give you three skips unexcused or, you know, that sort of thing. And so Um, there was a day where I woke up and kind of like today here in Southern Indiana, it was nice, sunny. And the college where I went to was by, was right on a lake. And so I walked into failing Ealing's class at the beginning of the class. And I said, how many skips do I have? (laughs) She's like, you have two left. And I said, not anymore. I got one. I'm out. And so that was like the type of relationship that I had with feeling healing, but I don't think I failed her class. So I think I, well, I made it through, go. even though I kept skipping her class. <laughs> so wherever feeling healing is, assuming she's still alive and kicking, I guess a shout still, out to her. Still failing students. That's right. I read a study recently that said in terms of identity, Gen Z is the least religious generation yet. More than one third of them consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. They're less likely than any other previous generation to have attended worship services growing up, to have religious behaviors modeled for them and their parents, or to have daily spiritual practices like saying grace at a meal. But young adults and teenagers who do consider themselves to be engaged Christians are way more likely to be involved and open to service than older generations. And maybe that's because they're naive and they're not yet burnt out and jaded like us cynical millennials or Gen Xers. Or maybe there's less social inertia to consider oneself Christian. So the young people who do pursue Christ do it on purpose and not by default. According to a Barna Group study published in 2020, over half of engaged church-going young adults would definitely be interested in serving in a missionary role. As the demographic of who is a Christian changes, the church changes, and the international missions world changes too. So today we're talking to Stephen Pettis from Highlands College, and we're asking questions like, 
What barriers to ministry do young adults face? What kind of encouragement do they need? And how is the next generation changing the mission field? Awesome. Yeah. So, Stephen, it is a great honor to have you part of our podcast, man. Thanks for taking the time to join us. You're down there in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, it's good to see your face over Zoom. Good to see you guys. Um, give us a little context for for who you are and Highlands College. So um, you and I met uh, re- pretty recently, just in the last several months, uh, just maybe under a year. You and I got connected through a mutual friend who we've also have had on this podcast, Tim Hurd. Our good friend, Tim our Hurd. Tim, our good friend, Tim Hurd, who's the missions pastor at Highlands Church. Um, but then there's this whole other realm uh, called Highlands College, and you're on staff there, Stephen. So turn it over to you. Give us a little context for who you are, your role there, family, and uh, and Highlands College itself, if you don't mind. Yeah, it'd be honored to. It's it's a privilege to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a part of Highlands College, and uh, we are a fairly small private college in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, we started with Church of the Highlands, and so we're part, really, we're, we're, we're within the, the context of Church of the Highlands. And so Tim is a dear friend of mine as well, and um, I'm thankful for the connection uh, with you guys. But so Highlands College is, is in Birmingham, and uh, as a, an institution, we, we began with the vision of Church of the Highlands through an internship program with our pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. And the vision was that, uh, you know, that, that a new generation of leaders in ministry would be raised up. And mm-hmm. so that's always been a part of who we are as a church. And so we're 20, let's see, at this point, we're 22 years old as a church. And, and uh, so I've been a part of it since very early on and kind of just came up through through this house, through the spiritual house. And then fast forward to 2011, we shifted that internship from is very you know, hands-on practical, and we added the components of academics and, and, and morphed into a college at that point. And so from 2011, that's really our starting point as a college. Yeah. Uh, we've grown into, um, into a, a vocational ministry college, and we, as a college, we're laser-focused on uh, really it's that whole principle of Luke 10, too, that, that God desires for workers to be in the field. And so how can we as an institution come alongside these, these young adults, these young leaders, and give them the, deba- the development, the training that they need to kind of uh, bridge the gap and, and step into vocational ministry. And so, as part of the as part of the vision, as part of the the college, I get to serve in as the executive director of ministry placement. And you know, from a I don't know if you guys had the experience in your in your college days with with career services. Uh, so functionally, we operate like career services. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the spiritual sense and in, in the vision sense, what our department does is we're, we're part of mobilization. You know, and I think for, for mich, those familiar with, with missions terminology, that's really the heartbeat of mm-hmm. what I get to do day in and day out is help prepare our students for life after Highlands College. And so that comes through the, the typical career services stuff, but also we get to do, we, we get to talk about calling and we get to talk about opportunities in the harvest field. Uh, for these for these young young uh, students to step into, so uh, I love what I get to do. Uh, we were missionaries before this, uh, as sent out from Church of the Highlands, and then we actually came back pre-COVID to 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 be a part of the college and get to do what I'm doing now. So honestly, it's a dream come true. Uh, my heartbeat is really at the crossroads of college students and missions, and so every day. Uh, you've experienced it, Ben. You've been here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we every day I get to be immersed really in both of those worlds here at the college. So, yeah, yeah. super exciting just to get to talk about Allen's College and our students and, and missions with you guys. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Thanks, man. So um, you mentioned you were overseas for a while, and I believe uh, that was in Nepal. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, sharing that with some students this morning. We, you know, the crossroads of, we never knew if we were really South Asia, Central Asia, East Asia, just kind of that in that realm. But we were, we were in Kathmandu, Nepal. That's correct. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And now you're down there in Birmingham and you get to have a really fun role of kind of being that, like that bridge between the, the college side, which is investing in raising up all these leaders. And then on the, on the church ministry, nonprofit side, connecting those young men and women to whatever opportunity organization connection uh, that best fits their, their giftings and their passions and their calling, which is really cool. So um, a little bit more like what's the student body like? Um, how, how many people are they, uh, you know, mostly from Birmingham? Are they from different parts of the U S things like that? What's the kind of the demographic or makeup of Highlands college? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, within Highlands college, we actually have two programs. We have a full-time program, which is, is that 18 to 24 year old young person, again, that has a sense of calling to vocational ministry. And um, those students, now that student, that part of our student body is 350, around 350. It's a two-year associate's degree program. We actually just in February got accredited and approved to morph into a four-year bachelor's degree uh, granting institution. And so within the next two to four years, we're going to, we'll double. So the 350 will go to 700 full-time students. And, um, and, and they're coming from all over. And I think that's something when we first began as an internship here at Church of the Highlands, a, a lot of the students were from Birmingham. A lot of our interns were from the local area. Uh, but over the last couple of years, it, it's really shifted. And now, now the majority of our students come from other parts of the United States. So we have students from really from every corner of the United States. We have a few international students currently and uh, we're, you know, we're open to and we're, lo- we're exploring how to, uh, to be able to in- increase the international student enrollment. Uh, because, again, the, the vision here is that they're coming, they're getting ministry training, they're getting character development opportunities, spiritual formation opportunities, and, and that they can go out prepared back to either their home church or be mobilized as missionaries or as local church pastors different things like that. Um, the other side of Highlands College, which is an additional around 600 students, is the part-time evening program. And that that part of Highlands College is for the adult learner who either is a part of Church of the Highlands or, or some of those are even students that relocate to the area um, or to one of our campuses. And, and they are taking the next step of discipleship and they're taking the next step of of learning about ministry leadership or, or theology and, 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 or some of those within that group are also called to full-time vocational ministry. And so we have a a part of that program that we help develop them, Mm -hmm. give them the tools that they need, give them, you know, as, as a church and as a college, we're really just an open book. We try to share anything that we learn, anything that we have, we try to, we try to share that and, and, and give that away. And so that's those students, really get a behind the scenes look at how do you do ministry? How do you navigate challenges? What do you, you know, how do you um, giving, even giving them some of the weight and responsibility to, to fill that so that they can get as, as prepared as you can be yeah. to go out and, and, and do ministry in a sustainable and effective way, yeah. uh, wherever God may lead them. Uh, that's yeah. In a nutshell, that's, that's who we are as a college that's and, cool. and the, the diff, different demographics. That's cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun visiting. I was there uh, about a month ago, less, a little less than a month ago, and it was very 
inspiring and life-giving and energizing to be there and um, just the heart that you guys have for this generation. And so it makes it um, all the all the better to have you uh, chatting with us about this topic, this whole uh, conversation around this generation, this young generation, young adults. Um, what is it like for them to engage in kingdom work in general, in ministry in general, and then maybe even more specifically in global mission? And so, um, Emily, you hit some of this stuff a little bit in the intro, but maybe just kind of recap some of the things that as you were preparing, among other things that we're going to reference, there's a Barna study that came out just a couple of years ago um, that we'll keep referencing. It's called The Future of Missions. would highly recommend it um, for a lot of reasons, but they've got a couple of sections that are particularly focused on young adults, next generation. Um, so maybe you could just kind of repaint some of the some of the realities or some of the landscape of when we talk about the next generation and church in general. And then, you know, Stephen, I'd, I'd love for you as you're listening, just to be listening through that lens of like, there you are entrenched in this, right? You're on the front lines of, so, you know, how does your experience compare to some of these um, more generalized stereotype um, statements that are coming out of a, a, a survey like this? So anyways, Emily, um, maybe help us transition into that part of it of like, what's the next generation in church relationship yeah. like? Let's do some Gen Z facts. All right. right come now. On now. <laughs> I, don't, I also don't know any Gen Z people. I was realizing like I, your kids. Uh, my kids are Gen Z, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I think they are. Teenagers. Yeah. That's about it. I don't have, I don't, I don't see a lot of young people. They're the best Gen Z that you're going to meet. I mean, let's be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So in general, Stuart children aside, yes. Um, so Gen Z is less religious than any other generation that's come before it. Um, over a third of Gen Z people um, are not religiously affiliated. There, there is a. Um, I remember a few years ago when everyone cared about millennials, and now we're all old and forgotten. There was like <laughs> a lot of articles talking about the the nuns that are growing, like N O N E S. Right. Um, which was a, like an epidemic among millennials. And now Gen Z is like surpassed us. Right. Um, so around like less than 30% of millennials consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. And it's the older people are, the lower that percentage goes. I think the greatest generation, like grandparent age is like 9% hmm. consider themselves unreligious. Um, but they're, one of the studies that I read was from the American Survey Center, and it kind of drew some correlations that um, Gen Z, one of the reasons they're probably less likely to be religious or have faith or spiritual is because they did not experience that growing up. Mm. Um, so their parents didn't, it wasn't regular worship service attendance. There wasn't like religious or faith-based behaviors modeled at home. Um, it just wasn't taught. And that's a huge that uh, makes a huge impact on a person with mm. if they were um, raised in faith or impacted it as a young person, they're more likely to keep on mm. <laughs> the older they get. And that's just not happening um, anymore as much. Um, the Gen Z is more diverse and multicultural than any other generation. Mm. Also um, they're more aware of injustice and social issues. Mm. Yeah. It, I thought it was interesting to see that um, they're less likely to be religious, but if they are religious, they're way more likely to be mm. involved or excited about it, essentially. 
So it's a little bit more extremes. Yeah. Like you're either really not or you really are. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit less of the um, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like neutral, ambivalent. Um, Apathetic. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. It's like the the social inertia mm-hmm. essentially is not there to mm-hmm. like, uh, there's less pressure to be right. Christian socially. And so there aren't a lot of yeah. <laughs> just like, uh, what's that? Christers? Not a lot of, yeah. not as much. <laughs> like culturally like, Christian is yeah. fading a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> Steven, kind of with some of that in mind, what I'm curious about is, so obviously they're at Highlands College. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm going to talk primarily about the the student body that makes up those 300 plus young adults that are there that are living on campus. Um, you know, they're, they are there because not only do they have a faith, a, a vibrant faith in Jesus, but they also, to some degree, feel a pull towards or a call to some type of vocational ministry. So, so you know, that's a baseline, obviously. But even with just some of the realities that Emily painted, do you pick up on that at all? Like, do you see even just in the background some of the effects of that, of like maybe... Um, you know, like theological knowledge is not as robust as it used to be, or biblical literacy, um, you know, there, there's a different starting place today um, as students come in than maybe even 10, 15, 20 years ago, or um, other things like that. I'm curious if you see even some of the effects of what Emily was describing as a whole. Yeah, I would, I think that's one of the things that Emily shared, I would, I would just echo a lot of that. I mean, I'm, literally around Gen Zers all day, pretty much every, every week. And, um, and, and it's, it's, so it's, it's very encouraging and it's also very daunting. I think the challenge that some of those statistics paint for us, um, I think that they, uh, of course you set a great illustration of the baseline that we're working with so that we're working with those highly engaged mm-hmm. individuals that are, um, you know, if they do have the calling to vocational ministry, which, which is our line, you know, like we're, um, there's so many different avenues. There's so many different lanes for got to make an impact in this generation. Um, for us, our, our lane within that is preparing those for those students who would be called a vocational ministry. And so I, I do realize that my, that I'm, my perspective of Gen Z is skewed towards this group, but I, what I think typically see in our, in our young people is that um, many of them come in uh, from a local church. Many of those have a foundation of um, of theology and of, mm. of biblical knowledge, um, because again, they've they've been able to get to the point of of self identifying. Hey, I think I'm called to vocational ministry, mm. and so what we see is a ton of passion. We see a lot of uh, uh, a lot of just um, awareness of social issues. I think that's something that, that resonates pretty strongly mm-hmm. um, as compared again to a millennial, a forgotten millennial. I love that, mm-hmm. Emily. Um, just we, you know, I think we were, we were more focused on advancing the, the gospel through evangelism. And I think that that's something, and we'll probably get into some of that, but just one of the challenges that this generation is facing is, is, is haven't really seen a great model mm-hmm. for, a lot of ministry. And so I think that when, when it comes to our team and the purpose of, uh, of my role and of, of all our roles as, as faculty and as administrators of this college, it's really to give them a model, you know, cause they have, they have, they've had the tools available. They've had the resources available. Um, but they need that, that guidance. They need that, 
person that can kind of jump in their corner and show, show that we care and, and mm-hmm. show that we believe in them and, and help them reach the, the potential that they have, which is, which is just fast. I mean, that's really the positive of, of this generation. I think it's just the potential there with the, with the resources that they've had and, and just the, um, the, the knowledge that they've had available to them. The, the base of knowledge they've had available to them, the, the potential here is, is, is limitless. It's incredible. It's cool. It's cool to see. I mean, yeah, to be around each day, you know, young men and women who are truly being the exception to the rule of their generation. I mean, that's, that's gotta be pretty life-giving and, and exciting yet also represents some pretty unique challenges of how do you equip them, um, you know, to, to go out and to be Christ in, in those, in their generation amongst their peers. And it's interesting to me, um, like as, as you guys were both talking, like the description that you gave Emily, just in general of, of this generation. And then some of the things that you're seeing anecdotally in person, Stephen, just that idea of like spiritual mothers and fathers and how, um, I think, I don't remember exactly how you said it, Emily, but basically how like with every generation since the millennials, there was really the increase of the nuns, the N O N E S um, that even now with Gen Z, it's even less who are affiliated. Right. And I'm sure there's a variety of reasons for that. But one of the things that does stand out to me is on the negative side, like the loss or the decrease of spiritual mothers and fathers. Um, And that can be like biological mothers and fathers, but even just, um, in relationship, you know, like I think about all the people, like I, I had great parents, biological parents who raised me, um, including in my faith, but I also had other spiritual mothers and fathers who like helped me along in that journey. And, um, I'm sure there's a correlation to like, as that decreases, so, so does the number of people who associate and affiliate themselves as, as followers of Jesus. But then conversely, you know, there you are, Stephen, in a, in a, college context where you get to be that, you know, you and the other staff and the professors, you get to be those spiritual mothers and fathers who are, who are in essence in their stage of, in this stage of their life, raising up, continuing to raise up those, those young and young men and women. So, um, yeah, that was just something that, that hit me as I was listening to you guys is there's probably like a significant decrease of those spiritual mothers and fathers. Yeah. And that's been, that's been such a, a, a paradigm shift for me in terms of what we do as a, as a college student. And I'm very, I think logically, and I think very typically, very strategically. And so, uh, and if, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm thinking about efficiency. <laughs> and so when you, when you approach mentor training in that way, you're thinking, all right, I had, I just need to get the right information. We need to build the right training environments. We need to have the right books, textbooks selected. We need, you know, the right systems in place. And what's been really interesting as, as I've learned more about this generation is I've kind of rubbed elbow with, elbows with them over the last couple of years here at Highlands College. What we've, what we've kind of realized is that that's all really important and, and, and it's all very necessary. And we, 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 we do aim to build the best ministry training program and the best academics and all that. But what we've come to find out is that a lot of the resources, and this is happening all over higher education in general, a lot of the resources, a lot of the material, the content, it's readily available to these students mm-hmm. through so many different avenues. So they've had, they've grown up with access to that. They've grown up with more access to, to more information mm-hmm. than any generation previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere that like, their their knowledge really exceeds their maturity, though. So they don't always know how to interact or what content 
is the right content to engage with or you know if you think of, of all the contents that, that's available it's obviously overwhelming so they do need people like um, the staff here or different leaders in their lives to help curate that but what's been really interesting is is just as important as that and I think it's, I think it's different from the millennial generation to the generation but they really need people that like you mentioned Ben um, just those 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 spiritual fathers and mothers, they really just need someone to believe in them. Mm. That someone that they know they care. And um and again, I think when they have that stuff in place, they they have access to the right stuff uh in terms of content and, and and knowledge base, but when they know someone cares, um it just almost ignites them mm. and, and in a different way I think than millennials, because I think maybe we had more of that you know, pick yourself up the bootstraps kind of mentality or, or just kind of, um, I'm going to, I'm going to build my, I'm going to build this. I'm going to just that independence, which is not always a great thing about our generation, but, um, it's different with this generation. They want to, they want to be a part of a community. They want to, they want to know that someone believes in them and cares for them. And I'm thankful we get to provide that, but it's not always, has not always been my first thought like, Oh, let's, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this and that, like, yeah. Let me just, let's just have a conversation. Let me show you like that I care about you and, and want to, you know, want to start a conversation with you. So mm. that's been interesting for us. Yeah. There was, um, in the Barna study that we've referenced, there was one short chapter about the impact of, um, being personally connected to somebody who is a missionary or in missions mm. and like how much that increases um, a person's likelihood or willingness to be involved mm. in missions in any capacity, not even just like, I want to do that too. Right. Um, but I think that is another example of something that shows this kind of relationship building mm. is pretty vital for this generation in terms of getting into ministry in general. Um, and that the, the role that a sort of role model, I guess, um, can play and how it really does impact. Hmm. So the, the lack uh, maybe of these kinds of behaviors modeled for them or a deep understand, like deep relationships built in the church can be something that holds Gen Z or young adults back from ministry. But I was just wondering if you, Stephen, or even you, Ben, as you know, your children, <laughs> um, is what other things might be difficult, um, what other things would be barriers maybe to people, not, not just pursuing ministry as a vocation, but this idea of living on mission in general. I, I think, I think you hit in terms of, if we think in terms of missions in general, what we're seeing with missions specifically say within ministry, I think you hit the, the main one on the head. I think it's, I think it's a, a lack of access to, models a lack of access to those that are doing missions in a, in a healthy way and ben when you were here we talked about this um but there i think i think that there's a i feel and this is this is common i guess for every generation but there's almost a, a change guard happening within a lot of mission circles and we're trying to even the barna study addresses like how do we how do we move forward in this in this world of missions and and what what do we pursue and different things like that. And we're, as we're having those conversations, meanwhile, a generation is coming up and they don't, you know, we're all kind of in conversation. We're all trying to figure out what's the future. And meanwhile, the future is looking at us and they're saying like, give us some of the, give us some of the models, give us some of the, 
the examples to follow. But more than that, it, it really is. I think they just um, we had we had a, a, a guest pastor who came on campus last semester and, and preached at chapel and and uh, Pastor Larry Stockstill and he the invitation at the end basically inviting students that have felt and have sensed the Holy Spirit directing them or leading them towards missions. He he invited the Holy Spirit to confirm in them, are you, you know, are you, did you be a part of this? And we had a response like we've never had as a college. And I think part of it was because they're just not getting that. They're not getting, they don't, they don't see a lot of missionaries. And, um, you know, as the, as the engaged Christians, uh, the numbers, the percentages decrease. I think it just becomes more important that we are that we're strategic, placing people in front of them that can be a good representation of of a missionary and of of mission mm. uh, missions opportunities. So I think I, I think the invitation is really those key barriers and and students not becoming missionaries at least. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I I agree. I think that lack of role model, that lack of, uh, you know, person that they can look up towards and, and walk with, um, is right on Steven. And then I would say, um, sort of hand in hand with that, or the other side of that coin is, is an overabundance of, of so many other things that they can look towards. And so this goes back to what you were saying, Steven earlier is just like the overabundance of access to access to information, access to, different cultural icons and ideas and ideologies, um, access to so many different worldviews. And so not only do you have exactly what Stephen was saying, like a lack of, of role models, but on, on top of that, you have an overabundance of exposure to all these other things. And so, and even if they're like things that are relatively neutral, you know, but just like, I think about, well, I do think about my my children specifically who, you know, who do love Jesus, who have been raised in a context where this idea of living on mission, regardless of your vocation, is is really important. So like whether you're like our son, he wants to go into engineering too. He wants to play with dirt, apparently, <laughs> just like you did, Stephen. So um Well, we know how that turned out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, our and our daughter is taking a gap year and all that sort of stuff. But for them, like even even as two Gen Zers who have been raised in this context that is very aware of what it means to live on mission, there's still just an overabundance of of distractions, of opportunities, of things to take their minds away from that, of you know, to to lose focus or to be focused on other things like reputation and finances and security and future and all of that sort of stuff. And again, not all of those things are bad in and of themselves, but um, they can sort of overwhelm um, a focus on mission, um, so to speak. So I think those two those two things definitely go hand in hand. I don't know if, I mean, I haven't, this wasn't in the studies that I read, so I'm just going off the top of my head. Um, but even, even as you both were talking about this kind of lack of modeling or role models, um, I was just thinking about even the the people that I do know who are in vocational ministry or in missions. Um, there's just lots of conversations now about it being tiring and mm. everyone is burnt out and it's mm. hard. And there's all of these stories of church hurt and bad leadership. Um, and 
I mean, this stuff is good to talk about and mm-hmm. get out, but it can be really discouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to 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 know what you're getting into or know the potential of what mm-hmm. you could get into, um, because ministry and missions are really hard. Yeah. <laughs> They're really messy, and even doing it in the best possible way is never going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just where we are culturally in terms of like how we think of, um you know, what is, what is required of me (laughs) to Mm -hmm. do? Um, what is the harm that I'm going to potentially do to other people or have done Mm -hmm. to me? Um, I think, I think it can be really hard. So even, even people I would consider like this person's great. They have their head on their shoulders. They're a strong Christian. I think it can be hard, um, to be completely honest in some ways about the difficulties (laughs) of ministry and missions. Um, it can be hard to hear that and still be excited about it. Mm, yep. Yeah. And again, it just, it just goes to show like those, those stories of, you know, the failures, the hardship, the brokenness, you know, even 20 years ago, those weren't as readily accessible as mm-hmm. they are today. You know, today we have whole podcast series about them and, th- and TV shows and documentaries and stuff like that. So the exposure to those, to the sort of the dark side and the brokenness of, vocational ministry is much more in the face of of gen z more than any other generation before that's a good point what about what about you steven like as you think about um additional barriers or challenges for for gen z going into vocational ministry specifically um whether that's local church ministry or you know nonprofit or global missions are there other challenges or barriers that you come to your mind I think, and I think Barna addressed this this one really well. But I think parents um, can provide a lot of great engagement, but it can also be a, sometimes be a barrier. A lot mm-hmm. of times for ministry, I mean, I, I know how it is. We were we were missionaries, and um, I saw how that affected my parents. They were they were supportive of that, but how challenging it was for them. And so, I've, to be honest, I've already made my six-year-old, my four-year-old, my one-year-old sign a contract that they're not going to leave us and move <laughs> internationally for ministry unless they bring us with them. And so I'm willing to admit, I'm, I think I'm part of the part of the problem. But I, I think it's just so challenging because for a parent, especially a parent who has not in vocational ministry, to hear from their their student, from their their child, to say, "Hey, I, I think I'm called to vocational ministry." The normal, the natural things that come to mind are, well does that even pay and what's the future in that? And so we, we have a lot of those types of conversations with, with parents or prospective students that come here to college. Uh, But when, when you add on the layer of missions, it just becomes even more magnified or exponential for them to just to, to want the best for their child. Um, But sometimes that can lead to conversations to discourage that as a potential avenue. And so I think that that's, that is a very common one that we see with this generation. We've talked a little bit about missions specifically. And one of the things that I would be interested in hearing from you, Stephen, is we also talked a little bit that Gen Z is the most diverse and multicultural generation so far. And they're more aware of uh, global issues, social justice issues. Um, so I was wondering if you've seen that um, culturally does that impact how they view international missions? Totally. Oh, and I love like I, I love this about Generation Gen Zers because 
this generation has a comfort level of interacting with other cultures like I've never seen before. And I think it has to do with what we even talked about earlier, that the the cultural Christian kind of layer of Christianity in America, that crust is kind of um, being pulled away. And I think that that's discouraging when we look at some of those statistics from, from, um, but it's also, I think very clarifying. Mm. So those engaged Christians, if you're an engaged Christian, and I think that, you know, the stats really back this up. If you're an engaged Christian, then, and we're seeing this with our students, they are more passionate about the lost. Mm. And as we're trying to coach them up actually about interact with maybe a Hindu person or a Buddhist person or someone from another religion or someone that just has no context for Christianity, they have, uh, you know, no foundational knowledge of who Jesus was and what he did for us. Mm. Um, as we're trying to coach them up in conversations like that, what we're finding is, uh, what I find personally is that as I'm trying to coach them up through that and some of the challenges that I face coming from my generational filter and perspective, it's not the same perspective that they have. So they're not as intimidated about conversation itself or they have no, they have no problem loving someone that doesn't look like them or doesn't think like them. Hmm. For them, again, we go back to what we've already talked about with like, they just don't know. They don't know how necessarily to engage in that because of the model you know, issue, or they, they may be overwhelmed by, um, you know, just the, the potential pathways that they can walk down um, and, and to engage with someone like that. But they, they're not intimidated by it. And it's, it's amazing. And I think that that's going to help. That makes them comfortable in circles and in, in places that, to be honest, I don't think a millennial generations is comfortable with or especially you know, previous generations were not as comfortable loving people and interacting with people that were so diverse uh, as this generation mm. so I, I love that and I think that makes us stronger as a church I was actually really encouraged with um, I think it was this week actually that the CNN put an article out about you know the the rumors of the demise of the the church in America may be premature mm. and basically saying that the reason for that is not because, and this may be a little bit, this is, this side of it is a little discouraging. It's not necessarily because the American church is banning that rapidly, but it's because a lot of, a lot of immigrants are coming in with the faith. So a lot of people you know, from the global South are coming into America mm. and um, that the really, and I thought that they actually did a good job in the article of, of kind of painting the picture of, the challenge facing us as a church is going to be, can we accept a church that's coming from other countries? Can we, can we bring them into the fold? Can we unite with them and move forward? Um, or are we going to, um, to, to keep separation there? And I think that's, it's encouraging. It's almost like a, it's, it's encouraging, but it's also a challenge. But I do think that if we give responsibility, if we have true, influence to this next generation to help help with that conversation to help with that unification of the church here in america with immigrants that are coming with the faith and with the culture then then um the future is very positive yeah that's cool man i like that observation and i love how you're seeing it firsthand play out and especially just that um that unique ability for gen z to cross cultural boundaries that, uh, in a way that's easier and easier. Um, and that's, that's a really, that's a really encouraging trend to hear. Um, kind of on that note, like as we start to move towards the end of, of this conversation, what are, 
what are a couple other trends or sort of like new things, new aspects, new realities about global missions and Gen Z that come to mind? Um, and so I know I'm putting you guys on the spot with this question. So I'll, I'll give an answer, which will also <laughs> serve as a time for you guys to think of a better answer. Um, but this was always one that I thought was just kind of interesting and in a fun sort of lighthearted way, but, but also does, um, communicate or, or demonstrate a, a pretty significant shift in how global missions is done. Um, I, I heard it described one time as, you know, generations of several, several generations ago, like the, I, the, the symbol of how global missions was done was a coffin which sounds morbid, but literally it kind of represented this idea of like, we're going to put everything we own in this coffin. We're going to ship it over to wherever we're going and we're going to, we're going to die there. Like we are going to live out our days of our life there. And then, you know, a couple generations later is like a storage container. Like we're going to move everything over. Uh, but eventually we'll come back to our country of origin, but like most of our life's going to be lived over there. And then not too long ago is like suitcases, right? So like just a ton of suitcases, like we're going to go for a couple of decades or, or maybe a decade and, and then kind of see what happens. And today it's symbolized by a backpack. And that's very much like the trajectory and the trend of where, where and how global missions is happening is, um, you know, it might be more um, three to five year stints or um, what role does short-term mission have and kind of the emphasis on that. So just kind of interesting. I mean, obviously those are broad stereotypes, but how those, those symbols do kind of represent the the trend of how global missions is done, at least here from the West in the States. So that's, that's an, an, an example of uh, a way that global missions is shifting and changing, especially through the millennial and Gen Z generation. So anything else come to mind for you guys? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's exciting times because I love, I love change. I love, uh, thinking what what is God doing currently and where where is he where is he going to lead us as the church going forward and um, I love that illustration Jared Ben I think that I think that the future like what it, you know maybe the future isn't the bag now it's maybe it becomes social media maybe it's digital and I think that's something that we're seeing a lot of just the the fruit of a generation that is engaged with with social media their entire lives. Mm. And, um, I've even, I've, I'm not great at social media. Let me just say that, but I've learned a tremendous amount even recently about the effectiveness of being in a sphere. And that is a reality for so many people around the world. As a church, we have to, we, we need to, and we have to engage with. And I just think that that's something that, again, this generation is going to be able to kind of take the lead on and, and, and be, uh, set the example and the noodles uh, for for the future and in, in doing ministry in that sphere. Um, but I also think that also think that I'm and I'm, I'm a little bit of a history buff. Uh, I I think that people if for me history is all about stories and mm. and for anyone that doesn't love history, I think they're just probably reading the wrong stories. You know, they're reading <laughs> the wrong history. Um, but I think that there's although I think we're going into a new a native of new mediums and, and yeah, a different expression of missions. I also think there's so much within missions history that we can look back on and we can study. I'm the youngest sibling in my family and uh, I, I got the younger sibling syndrome, but you're able to, 
uh, really to look ahead to your to your older siblings and see what, you know what what how did they make mistakes or where did they kind of get off track or what was positive about what they what was negative of their you know their experience and how can I learn from that and I think uh, a lot of times uh, missions gets a really bad rap because the source that we're hearing from is it's it's all the negatives and I'm not saying at all that that missions history is all positive by any means. There's so much to learn from the positives and the negatives. But I do think this generation needs to be encouraged to look back as well as they're developing these new models to um, to look back and study the history of what has been done, what was successful about it, be able to pull the principles out um, you know, from really the early church on through today. And um, yeah, so I'm excited about what, how, what expression God is going to develop using millennials as leaders and as Gen Z as they become the up-and-coming leaders for the church. One thing I thought was interesting in the Barna study that we've been referencing um, is there's a short chapter about, you know, four, I think it identifies four different uh, new kinds of missionaries. And it's like business leader, entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. artist, and a church trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, And none of that is like evangelist or whatever. (laughs) Um, But I think, I think that's cool to just have the freedom um, to be able to do new things, Mm. especially with, you know, the internet, social media, there's a lot of, there's a lot more reach. You don't necessarily have to put all your stuff in a coffin and ship it to India uh, in order to, to talk to people there about Jesus. Um, You can do that on TikTok or whatever, but there are also, it kind of frees people up to pursue new ways of sharing the gospel. And that could be through art or through a business. And yeah, there, there will be people who live overseas Mm -hmm. for the rest of their life and whatever. Um, But it, it's not going to look the same. And I think it's cool to see the, the new creative ways that we're able to engage. So as we wrap up our conversation, I, I don't know any young people guys. (laughs) I don't, I don't engage with the Gen Z with the Gen Z kids. Um, I don't work at a college or have teenage kids or whatever. Um, so I was just wondering the, the average person who would be listening to this, maybe they're in ministry or, or not. Um, we've heard a lot about, you know, the encouragement that young adults could use and some of the barriers they're facing. I would wonder if either of you guys who have more interaction with young adults than I do, what can like an average person be doing Hmm. to like, if not help, at least not harm, you know? <laughs> I would say this is, my encouragement is that just engage, you know, I think it's, I think it's intimidating. And I, and I can speak for, even for myself. It can be intimidating to kind of step out of my generation and the context that, that I have with, with millennials and just the commonalities there and to interact with this generation that again, just feels so different different than us. It, it can feel intimidating, but what I love about young people, both in Highland College that I interact with and, um, and just the, even the, the students in our neighborhood that we interact with that are just in high school, some of them are believers or not, but I've seen it in both areas. That if, you, if you engage with this group and you have, uh, I think they get, they get such a bad rap all the time, you know, that everybody's just talking about the lack of work ethic or, you know, just that they speak this digital language or they're just, I mean, there's countless 
ways that that stones are kind of thrown at this situation and um so i think even that can kind of lead to a a, a false or a, a negative perspective on them but if you engage with them and you come from a heart that is compassionate towards them you show them you care you show them that you believe in them is once you do that it is is so easy to engage with this generation and they're so hungry for it all the things that we talked about just needing the spiritual mothers and fathers once you once you stepped into that sphere just it all becomes so much easier and so i guess that would be my encouragement is just take the first step they need it they're probably not going to pursue us um but if we engage with this generation I find that they are—they really are hungry for for more of that, just older leadership in their lives, and they're hungry to um, to to make a difference in this world. I think they they're they're super focused on how they can make an impact and where you know, find a spot where they're needed to serve or to give back. So that'd be my encouragement. Yeah, I think with that, um, maybe the phrase that came to my mind was um, to to really demonstrate an an honest and humble faith to this generation. And the reason those two words came to mind is I, I think first of all that um, every generation certainly, but in particular Gen Z and and probably even millennials um, really need to see what honest faith looks like. And, um, that a love for Jesus, a a commitment to following Jesus, a commitment to the things of, of his kingdom can exist and lay side by side next to things like doubts and frustrations and, um, not having answers to a lot of things and, uh, a sense of the injustice in the world and, um, you know, a, a, a longing to see things better. Um, that we don't have to sugarcoat stuff. We don't have to try to put things in nice, tidy bows. Um, we don't have to stuff our doubts down. Um, and and so I, I think demonstrating to to Gen Z, like being willing to demonstrate, this is this is what my faith looks like. Honestly, um, it, it some days some days it looks pretty good and pretty strong, and other days it doesn't, you know, some days it looks pretty weak and, and anemic if we're being honest with ourselves. And yet like the love of Jesus for me remains the same. And, um, my conviction for who Jesus is remains the same. And then humble just in that sense of, um, I do think that uniquely so in this generation, going back to something you said earlier, Emily, is there has been a lot of exposure to, um, when power goes sideways in, in ministries and, and especially local church and um, just the way that we can hide or cover our, our arrogance and our power and ego um, in, in Christianity and evangelicalism. And so I think just this opportunity to show a refreshing level of humility of what does it mean to be a humble leader um, a humble follower of Jesus, like in a genuine, in a very genuine way. I'll do my best. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> For the kids. 